You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, a local body of believers in Quarryville, PA. To learn more about Oak Hill, visit oakhillfellowship.com. Now grab a Bible and a notebook and prepare to be spiritually enriched by God's Word. You can open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. And kids, we are so glad that you are here today. I believe that you have something uh, to hear from God's Word today, no matter what. Uh, But you can open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. The great uh, treatise of Paul on, on why the resurrection is necessary, why it is essential. And, uh, and so as we're thinking about the resurrection, we're thinking about life after death. And I, want you, I wanted to ask you the question, like, how often do you think about what happens to you after you die? How often do you think about what happens to you after you die? Uh, maybe you're the type of person who, who doesn't want to think about it very often because you're, you're not too sure. For some who don't hold any belief in God or, or in the afterlife, uh, they've resigned themselves to the fact that this life is all that there is and we're going we're gonna to make the most of it. You only get one life, you're going to make the best of it. For others, they have some concept of, of like reincarnation or, or karma. That's becoming more and more of a popular uh, viewpoint in our society in, in America. Uh, what a person does in this life will affect the quality of your life in the next. And, and what you come back to is, is pretty much the same world that we live in right now. Maybe somebody here today holds that view. Uh, for some other people, believers in Jesus Christ, there's a growing trend to downplay the afterlife so that we're more focused on what we would do today. Uh, They fear that they will be, uh, in the words of Oliver Wendell Holmes, so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. Did you ever hear that phrase? But the truth is that the Bible urges believers in Jesus Christ and actually everybody, to think about what happens after we die and to think about it often. I mean, our salvation rests upon what our Savior did after death. And the Bible is clear that the lives of genuine believers will take the shape of the life of Christ in this typical contour that we live We suffer, we die, and then we rise again. And the Bible urges us to think often about what will happen after we die because being appropriately heavenly minded will cause us to be of the greatest earthly good. But we have to have the right thoughts about heaven. We have to have the right thoughts about the afterlife. We, we have to know the true source of steadfast hope so that we can put our hope in the right thing and not get it wrong. We have to know what we are anticipating and why we can anticipate it so that we can live in light of that truth today. And so that's why the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15. So that believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ would be motivated to live life in light of Christ's resurrection and future glory. But that doesn't mean that that everyone that he was writing to were, were genuine believers or had a right view of the afterlife. We're going to see that they needed some correction, that they even had some skeptics and even some false teachers in their midst. And some of you might be there today. You might be a skeptic. Some of you might be a false teacher. I don't know. But if that's you, other than the false teachers, I'm glad that you're here. And I would hope that you would open your heart to God's Word and that you would consider, what if this were true? What if all this were true? What if everything that we just sang about was true? For all of us, this matter of Christ's resurrection is a matter of first importance. Absolute first importance. If it is not true, we are wasting our time here today. It is beautiful outside. Let's go play disc golf. 
And those of us who, who would spend our lives on this truth, oh man, we are most to be pitied. And if it is true, then this changes everything. And so here's what I would hope happens for you today as you have the Spirit work on your heart. That you would allow the resurrection victory of the second Adam to change your existence for today and all eternity. That you would allow the resurrection victory of the second Adam to change your existence for today and all eternity. Now that might be weird to you that I'm using this term right in the big idea, second Adam. What's that all about? But it is a term that the Bible gives to Jesus. We're going to actually find it in our text today, and I'm going to... And I'm going to these texts that, like, like we did on Good Friday as well because as a church, we are in a sermon series through the book of Genesis since the beginning of February. And so we've been in God's account of His creation of the heavens and the earth and, and how He created man and woman in His own image and likeness, how they were to represent Him as His rulers upon the earth but then how they gave into the proud desires of their own heart, how they tried to recreate themselves in their own image, and how that plunged all of mankind into sin and death. And we've been calling that study Origin Story. Because it is the starting point for everything that we know in this world. It is the, the backstory for all of us. How did things get this way? But there isn't just a first Adam in the Bible, there's a second Adam. And on Friday night, Good Friday, we showed how God counted the first Adam's sin to all humanity after resulting, and it resulted in much death, but much more how God counted the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the second Adam, to those who put their faith in Him. And today we're going to continue in another passage that makes this connection between the, the first Adam and the second Adam 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 and 21, says this, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. When we are only united to the first Adam, we die. According to the, the rest of the Scriptures, that's a, a physical and spiritual death. An eternal conscious torment in hell because of sin. But when we are united to Christ by faith, we can look forward to resurrection life because He was raised from the dead first. And yet, that leaves some questions for us. And we're going to examine one of those questions in detail today. Would you read with me, beginning in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds. Oh, I'm sorry, for not all flesh is the same. That seemed weird to me. Let's go back. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly, kinds of, heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. 
It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now, do you ever read the Bible and you're just like, what did he just say? You ever read the Bible and you're just like, just spit it out, Paul. Don't, don't worry, I can be that way too, especially when I came to this text, okay? So we're all in good company there. But that's one of the reasons why I'm here, to study it together, to explain it, to slow us down through it. And so today we're going to continue on in this passage and, and just, just turn to your neighbor and say, we're in this together. We're, we're in this together, right? If you ever feel lost, just go back up to the big idea because it's taken right from the text. Remember, we want to allow the resurrection victory of the second Adam to change your existence for today and for all eternity. And we're going to go all the way to, to uh, the end of the chapter here today, and, and we're going to see three reasons why we should do that. Three reasons. And the first reason is that the resurrection is reasonable. The resurrection is reasonable. The Apostle Paul introduces a question in verse 35. It's a, it's a hypothetical question that somebody reading this letter might ask. He says, how are the dead raised? Someone will ask that. Someone will ask, with what kind of body do they come? And that sounds like a good question. Like, I've, I've asked that question before. Have any of you ever asked that question, right? But then Paul's like, you foolish person! He might be like, whoa, killer! Just settle down, just asking. Why, why is Paul so aggressive here? Well, we can tell that the someone asking that Paul has in mind isn't just asking. It's not just this like innocent question that they're asking. They're trying to demonstrate a hole in Paul's reasoning and a hole in Paul's gospel. They think they are so smart for asking a question like this one. And in chapter 1 of this letter, Paul acknowledged, he said, the word of the cross, which includes the resurrection, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so now in chapter 15, Paul's turning the tables on him. And he's saying, you, you think that we are fools for believing in a resurrection, but listen, you are fools because you cannot see things the right way. You can't even see what's right in front of you, let alone things from God's perspective. You see, in, in Greek and Roman thought, the body was generally conceived of as bad, and, and the soul, or your immaterial part, was generally seen as good. And it's the same in many philosophies and religions today. Uh, to the Greeks and Romans, the goal of life was to be less and less affected by the body and more and more spiritual. The goal was to, to seek a higher knowledge that would set you free from the constraints of this body. And death was that ultimate form of freedom. So for the Greeks and Romans, your, your, your body would burn and one of the Greek or Roman gods, would escort you across the river Styx into Hades, the place of the dead. And as long as you were good in the assessment of three judges that you would encounter after death, you would, become, you would go to a, a comfortable portion of Hades called Elysium. If they couldn't decide, you would go to Asphodel. And if you were bad, you would go to a place called Tartarus. Either way, your spirit lived on, and in Roman thought, 
you even became one of the gods, the, the demones. By the way, if that sounds like Christian doctrines of how you get to heaven and hell to you, uh, keep listening because it's nothing close. But, but sadly, this kind of Greek thinking had infiltrated into the Corinthian church and had begun to shape their thinking about what Jesus came to do. They, they thought that they were super spiritual people, and so they had this, these, all these great mysterious spiritual gifts that they boasted in, and, and they, they thought they had this secret hidden wisdom and philosophy, and, and that their, their body didn't matter, and so, so they could do whatever they wanted with their body because it was totally separate from their true essence and being. But they were way off the mark of how God thought about their body and spirit. That's why the Corinthian church is so messed up. They were missing the true marks of the Holy Spirit, faith, hope, and especially love. And their so-called wisdom and its resulting fruit in their lives illogically denied some of the facets of the gospel that they claimed to believe. And Paul is, is writing to put the people who were teaching this junk in their place. And that's why he's so strong on this issue. Paul's opponents are, are asking this question with this tone. Oh, oh yeah, Paul? What kind of body would you ever want to have raised up? Don't you know how earthy this body is? Why would we want to put on some dirty, dusty, pain-ridden body after we die? And some of those arguments might sound reasonable to some of us sitting here today. In our, in our naturalistic world, many people can only conceive of an earthbound body destined for decay and the misery of all the natural processes. But that is earthbound thinking and not the perspective of God. That's why Paul calls them fools. They think they are wise, but they have major holes in their reasoning. And so he goes on then to give them a number of examples of different kinds of bodies. That's that whole reason why all that first stuff is there. Paul's just like, there's a bunch of different kinds of bodies. You've got seeds that go into the ground. They, they break apart. Their shell essentially decomposes. It essentially dies. And then it grows into a whole plant that is similar but different than the original seed. Anybody planting some seeds just right now? It can relate to that. Or here's another analogy, Paul says. Uh, not all flesh is the same. You have, you have human that have one kind of body, animals that have another, birds that have another, fish that have another. You can, you can observe that, right? There's different kinds. You, you can imagine different kinds of bodies. Well, the, so the body that is to come doesn't have to be exactly like the body that we have now, right? And, and if that's not enough for you, there, there are different kinds of heavenly bodies, right? There, you got the moon and the planets and the stars and the stars and the earth, they're definitely different, right? And like some are brighter in, this, in, in the sky and some are, some are bigger in the sky. And you can understand that God creates bodies for his own purposes, right? You can wrap your heads around this, can't you, smart ones? Paul is laying it on thick here. And then he finally makes his point in verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. The current body is perishable. It's dishonorable. It's weak. It's natural. He's actually conceding some things here to those who think that the current body is lacking. Now, he's not conceding that God hates the body. Jesus took on a body. God doesn't hate the body. But he's conceding some things in order to make his point that there is another body to come, a resurrection body that is imperishable, honorable, powerful, spiritual. And why is that? Because the first body is affected by the consequences of Adam's sin. It is living for now, but it will return to the dust. It is in the image and likeness of Adam meaning that it can no longer live forever. 
But remember verses 21 and 22 that we read earlier. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in, also in Christ shall all be made alive. He picks up the theme again in verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Just like that, that seed that goes into the ground and dies, so too the, the natural body goes into the ground. And just like that seed sprouts into a new form that is similar but different, so too the new body will be similar but different. We can see this in the accounts of Jesus' resurrection themselves. John 20, verses 19 and 21, it's up on the screen for you. Or 19 to 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So in the morning, Jesus' disciples went to the tomb and there was no body there. The actual body that had died was risen. And in the evening, they saw Him in that body. It was the same, but different. It was the same in that it still had the scars. It still had the marks of nails in His hands. A deep scar where the spear had pierced him through to make sure that he was actually dead. A few verses later in John, Thomas actually could touch his hands inside. This was a physical body bearing the marks of life and suffering before death, but those things were completely healed already. And the body itself was of a different kind this body could appear into a locked room. My body can't do that. It could somehow walk through walls. It was a, a, a body, but it was not like the earthly body that we know. It was a spiritual body made for heaven, for eternity. And yet, it could still be seen. Paul said earlier in this chapter that Jesus appeared to more than 500 witnesses. And those witnesses spent their lives telling about this truth. Paul himself, who once was adamantly against this truth, who stoned Stephen for standing up for this truth, he himself had been converted and on multiple occasions took beatings for this truth. He was even left for dead. He was put on trial. He was imprisoned. All for the sake of this resurrected Jesus whom he had seen with his own eyes. You do not do that for a cleverly devised myth that you just made up. The resurrection is reasonable both in the fact of Jesus' resurrection and in the possibility of future resurrections and the fact that there is naturally different kinds of bodies. If there is an eternity, there has to be different kinds of bodies. So you can stake your life on this. Do you ever struggle with the implausibility of the resurrection? It just, it just seems so illogical according to the typical thinking of our society. Does the Christian faith ever seem like a, like a foolish fairy tale to you? This is kid stuff. Does it seem like wishful thinking that we can live forever in a new paradise that is even better than the first? If it does, then look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. 
Look to the historical evidence of an empty tomb. Look to the power that was demonstrated when He rose from the grave. Look to the witnesses who saw Him and how it changed their lives from fearful cowards to fearless missionaries. Was it supernatural? Was it, was it miraculous? Was it inexplicable by laws of nature? Was it something that needs to, to have faith in order to believe it? Yes! Absolutely. You can ask all the, but what about this? And, and what if that questions that you want? But the undeniable fact, even from secular history, is that something happened at the tomb that day. And the most reasonable explanation, considering all of the evidence, is that God the Father raised Jesus Christ the Son from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of thing that you can expect from a supernatural God. He creates bodies however He wants to. He does things that are unnatural. He raises people from the dead. And if He raised Christ from the dead, then surely He will make good on His promise to raise all of those who have put their faith in Him from the dead. First Christ, then all who believe in Him. But the resurrection is not just reasonable. It's not just plausible. Like you, you could believe it if you wanted to. No, no, no. The second reason why we must allow the resurrection to change our lives is that the resurrection is necessary. It's necessary. Look at verse 50. Paul writes, I tell you this, brothers, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, pay attention, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We were dead in our sins and we needed the victory of the cross. The resurrection is necessary. It's necessary not just for our spiritual victory, but it's necessary for our physical existence for all of eternity. Our current bodies, Paul is saying, are not made for eternity. They're, they're, they're not built to last like Ford trucks. God said to Adam, from dust you were formed and to dust you shall return. And these bodies cannot inherit an imperishable kingdom. I am 38 years old. And I can tell you that this body is not going to last another hundred years. Like after working at St. Paul's yesterday, this body is definitely not lasting another hundred years, let alone an eternity. And we need new bodies. We need new bodies that are suited to live in the eternal kingdom of God. We need bodies that aren't broken by all the effects of sickness and death and and decomposition. We need bodies that won't wear out and decay. We need bodies that don't contribute to sinful desires every time our hormones are out of balance or every time we get tired. We need bodies that are ready to enjoy and celebrate the rule and reign of Jesus Christ for all eternity. And for those who, who sleep, Paul says, that means for all those who die with faith in Christ, those new bodies will come 
at the resurrection of the saints. And for those who are alive when Christ returns, their, their bodies will be changed in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, to be just like Christ's glorified body. How can this be? Because Christ has defeated death and he has won the victory on behalf of his people. We, we talked about this last week and on Friday night that the cost of Adam's sin was death. In the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. That's exactly what he did. And God righteously gave the punishment that he promised. Inevitable death. God counted Adam's sin to us because he was the representative of our human race. Remember, one player commits a foul, the whole team gets penalized. But God also mercifully allowed Adam's life and ours to extend beyond the day of his sin. In the words of theologian Michael Horton, there was a, a temporary stay of execution. And because he did not die immediately, Adam was allowed, among other things, to have offspring with Eve. And there would be one particular offspring who would crush the head of Satan who tempted him. And he would put an end to Satan's offspring, lies, deception, guilt, shame, fear, and ultimately death. Jesus Christ was that offspring that was promised. He was the second Adam, the new Adam that we just talked about on Friday night from Romans 5. He was the eternal Son of God who was born of a virgin in the likeness of human flesh. He was fully human and fully God. And He fulfilled the law on our behalf with His perfect, sinless life. He fulfilled all of the prophecies of what the Messiah should be like. He died for sin then in our place as a sacrifice, as a substitute. His sinless life for our sinful life. He died for sin. He died the death that our sin deserved. And in dying in our place, He satisfied God's just wrath against sin. And so now, that all of the work of the atonement had been accomplished, a new work of life was now beginning. By paying the penalty of sin, Jesus defeated death. And because Jesus had no sin of His own, God raised Him from the dead. And because Jesus defeated death and, and God raised Him from the dead, we too get to have victory over sin and death. Remember the verse that was read earlier in the chapter. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul continues, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits... Then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. Jesus Christ had to be the first to rise from the dead. He was the first demonstration of God's victory over sin and death. He was the source of it. But then He had to make the way for all who belong to Him. How do we then belong to Jesus? How do we know that this is our hope? The Bible says that we must be born again by believing in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Jesus came to make a new humanity who would be born again in His image likeness. And that new birth, that new life occurs when we first believe that our sin is really as bad as God says it is. We then must believe that Jesus really accomplished the work to save us from our sin and to make us righteous before a holy God. Only Jesus could do that. We couldn't do it ourselves. And we must believe that Jesus is Lord over heaven and earth, worthy of all of our dependence and devotion. 
That is how we can experience the future victory of Jesus in resurrected bodies for all eternity. But understand this. No one starts out life that way. And not everyone will belong to Jesus in this way. There are those who will not submit their lives to Jesus Christ. They will resist Him. They will push Him away. They will act as if He's not necessary. They'll just ignore Him. They'll continue living like they are Lord instead of Jesus, just like Adam did. They'll try to save themselves by their own good works. And in doing so, they will not receive eternal life. But rather, they will receive eternal death. They will be given resurrection bodies. But they won't have bodies destined for eternal glory. They will have new bodies that are capable to to withstand eternal conscious torment in hell. Cannot imagine. But Jesus said, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs, all who are in the tombs, will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Listen, because we are all born in Adam. Our default position is to do evil. And therefore, we deserve the resurrection and judgment of God. No one starts out life believing that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. No one was always a Christian. That's no one's true testimony. You might be a Christian for as long as you can remember, but you needed to surrender your life to Jesus Christ in your own faith. Have your own faith. In our sin, we all try to ignore Jesus. We all try to do our own thing. We try to get away with sin. And some, some people even today would double down on the fact that they say they believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Of course I believe in Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is, Jesus is the Christ. I get it. Yeah, that's, yeah, Jesus. But they really believe in themselves with a little Jesus on the side. Don't let that be you. Jesus must be Lord of all or He is not Lord at all. A lot of people believe in Jesus when they need Him. But not as the worthy Savior and Lord who changes their lives both now and forevermore. And so, all of us have to come to this place where we repent where we change our minds, we believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And when we do, that will change our lives for all eternity. You cannot believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord and then go on living like the rest of the world. It does not work because the rest of the world is not believing that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And so the question that is here today is, do you belong to Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to Him? Have you given up on your your plans and your hopes and your dreams and taken up His plan and His kingdom instead? Paul said that we are inheriting an eternal kingdom. Have you stopped living for your own kingdom or the kingdoms of this world And started living for the kingdom of God instead because you believe that that's where it's at. That that's the kingdom that's going to last forever and that you aren't the Lord and Jesus Christ is the Lord. 
The kingdom of Jesus is simply the rule and reign of Jesus wherever it is acknowledged. He must become central to everything that you do. Every plan that you make. Every motivation of your heart. He becomes your reason for living and breathing. You hang on His every word. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. And if you have never submitted your life to Jesus Christ in that way, you can do that today. You can do that today and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and He will change your life and He will secure your salvation and He will begin a new work in you. And you can cry out to God and you can say, I believe you are God and I am not. I believe that I am a sinner in need of a Savior and Jesus died and rose again to save me. And I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord over my life and I need you to take over, Jesus. And if you do that, and if you've done that for the first time today, you need to tell someone. You need to tell someone because you are not meant to live the Christian life alone. There are no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. Because when Jesus saves you and He gives you His Holy Spirit, He makes you a part of a new people. That's what we call the church. And we gather in all these little local churches every Sunday and we remind each other of the truth of the Gospel and we, we tell each other, keep going, keep going, this is worth it, this is worth it because Jesus is worth it. And so we would want to follow Jesus with you if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And if you, if you do believe that, for everybody here, and I know there are plenty of people here who do believe that, it will change your life for all eternity. It must change your life for all eternity. Why? Because this truth is incredibly motivating. It is incredibly motivating that you can look forward to the day when the sting of death is fully and finally gone. And you could say, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? If that doesn't fire you up, I don't know what will. And so that's the third reason we can allow the resurrection victory to change our lives. The resurrection is motivating. It's motivating. Look at verse 58. This is where this entire chapter 15 is headed towards. This is the summary statement. Therefore, my beloved brothers, because you've been so loved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is why Paul is so concerned with the Corinthians' understanding of the resurrection in the first place. This is the bottom line point for Paul. This is the, the so what of chapter 15. If you believe in the resurrection to eternal life in Jesus Christ, then it will put steel in your spine. Your faith will be strong. Weird doctrines won't get you off course so easily. Your heart will be focused on the kingdom of God. You will gladly invest your time for the Lord and His kingdom because His work is the only thing that will last for all eternity. You will see hard work for the Lord as totally worth it. Opponents won't scare you. Looking stupid in front of others for the sake of Christ won't bother you. Threats won't deter you. And all of that is because if death is no longer hanging over your head, then what is? See, this is what made the early church so annoying to the Jewish and Roman authorities. They would say, stop preaching or I'll throw you in jail. And the early Christians would respond, if you throw us in jail, we'll preach to your guards. 
To which the authorities would respond, if you preach to our guards, we'll beat you. To which the early Christians would respond, if you beat us, we will praise gods with our shouts and with our pain and we'll be living proof that he is worthy. To which the authorities would respond, then we'll put you to death and we'll silence you. To which the Christians would respond, if you put us to death, we'll count it a joy to share in the sufferings of our Lord and we'll just be praising him forevermore around his throne. Remember what Paul wrote to the Philippians. He believed this. To live is Christ. To die is gain. You only say that if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus and the future, your own future resurrection from death. And you must say that if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus and your future resurrection from death. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Is gain. Is gain. Is gain. It would be much better. Do you feel it? It would be much better to die right this moment and to live with Christ forever in heaven. Do you, do you feel it? Do you believe that truth? You'd have a new glorified body. You'd be inheriting the kingdom of God with all of its fullness. You'd be worshiping Jesus. You'd be shed of all this sin. But for now, Christ has us here. And as long as He has us here, He has work for us to do. He wants us to be steadfast in that work. Immovable in our resolve to proclaim the name of the One who saved us. Abounding abounding in this work, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is not for nothing. And so this is why Paul wrote earlier, we are most to be pitied if the resurrection were not true. Why would that be? Why would anybody pity us? I mean, like we're not losing anything, or are we? It would be that way only if we gave our lives and spent ourselves for this resurrected Savior knowing that there was eternal life ahead of us in Him. Is your life that different from the rest of the world that you would be a pitiable sot because of how you lived it if this thing weren't true? Resurrection is what makes any labor for Christ worth it. Kids ministry teacher, this is what makes the time that you put in to prepare for those children worth it. Gospel community leader, this is what makes those long hours working with someone through a hard situation worth it. For those who have been working on the, on the 4th Street building. This is what makes all of that time, Tom Ryback, all of that electrical stuff that was giving you a hard time yesterday. This is what makes it all worth it. Parent, this is what makes those difficult discipline and instruction moments with your children worth it. Students, this is what makes talking about Jesus with your friends who don't know Jesus worth it. Even if they make fun of you now. The resurrection makes certain that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, the truth of the resurrection Savior must change us for all eternity. And because it changes us for all eternity, it changes us today. 
Eternal life starts today for those who believe. Has it started for you? Could it be said of you that you are steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord? Could it be said of you that you would have a pitiable life if the resurrection were not true? If not, the answer is not try harder to be a better person. Don't let anybody go home here today thinking that that would be the way to solve the problem of this sermon. The answer is not to hang your head and say, oh man, God must be so disappointed in me. Woe is me. The answer is not to perfect yourself in the power of the flesh. The answer is to look to the second Adam again. Look to Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Remember his resurrection and then look forward to your own. Imagine what it's going to be like to live with him in sinless wonder. Imagine what it's going to be like to serve him and reign with him and live with him in his kingdom and have everything that you do revolve around him and then make that future reality a part of your reality today. Remember his resurrection. Look forward to your own. And then respond accordingly. Resolve. Work. Labor. All while resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.